Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. I want to jump right into it. Uh, We are, uh, over the next several weeks, we're in a pattern. And if you don't know why we say pattern, uh, the end of last year, we launched uh, kind of this initiative that we would would establish patterns uh, that would adjust our posture uh, so that we could inhabit places. And so I don't know if you know this, but patterns rarely fill the room. They create the room. And so you, you put patterns on your wall to create the kind of environment you want in the room. Are you with me? And, and hopefully what happens in that place and what happens in that in pattern is that you begin to adjust your posture. There are things that Jesus did regularly, consistently, on, on a very, very regular basis that allowed him to walk into current and, and, and situations that, that other people would not have been able to handle, other people would not have been able to, uh, to take on. But because he had particular patterns, one of which we started the year with, which was with, to withdraw and return, to withdraw, to spend time with the Father, to return uh, with decisions made, uh, with things to do. Uh, you watch Jesus walk away from crowds, still wanting to be healed, still wanting provisions, still wanting certain things, and people going, well, you can't leave yet, you can't. Walk away right now. And Jesus would say, no, I have, to, I have to go spend time with the Father. And Jesus would walk away. So we talked about that pattern. We talked about a few different things. So if you, if you want to know the history of that language, thank you, Juan, man. I appreciate you. Um, we had our worship team, a lot of different moves. That's why Malachi subbed in this morning. Wasn't that awesome? Thank you, Malachi. That was fantastic. Um, some shuffling had to happen, and, uh, and they made it work, and Juan went from electric to keyboard, and I thought that was awesome. You're so talented, man, and you're good looking, and yeah, you just want me to say it again? You're good looking. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to say a massive thank you to, uh, to our kids team. Uh, my wife, Pastor Mayor, is back there, I think, still. And uh, I think she keeps going back and forth. And uh, Linda and Steve Wozner and Amanda, they've, they've worked really hard. Um, it's still a little bit set up teardown for the kids, but uh, we're, we'll get there. And that's part of what I'll share uh, today. Uh, but if you want to jump to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we're in a pattern called mind and heart. Mind and heart. And uh, heart and mind. It's called heart and mind. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, we talked last week about the mind. Uh, I, one of my, I, I think one of the things that the church has, has not always done well, I, I, well, and recently, if you look at the scope of history, the church has actually always been at the forefront of what it is to think well. And Jesus didn't always tell you what to think. He often tried to tell you how to think. Uh, and Jesus never separated heart and mind. He never tried to make those mutually exclusive. In other words, he never tried to think to make you believe that if you're being emotional, you can't be rational, and if you're being rational, you can't be emotional that you can't feel with your heart and think with your mind at the same time. Oftentimes you would see Jesus heal something because of compassion and in the same moment argue with the Pharisee, debate with the Pharisee with his mind. He was able to to flip both switches whenever he needed to. And and, and the church has to be a people who feel, uh, has to be a people who have empathy, has to be a people who have compassion when they're walking by someone in need, but also has a mind to think about to critically believe, and to, and we talked about this last week, to imagine how this can be. The mind is not simply meant to be an intellectual tool. It's also meant to be an imaginative one. We are meant to be people who imagine the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are meant to be a people who imagine what God can do and and should do. Amen? 
And uh, some of you guys go, should be? Well, I'm not, I'm not saying he, he can change his mind. But we want to be a people who have heart and mind. And, and to be able to activate both and walk in both on a regular basis. So I would encourage you. I gave you a book report last week. We went from Dallas Willard to Alistair McGrath to uh, the director of The Social Dilemma. We were all over the place. And uh, I would encourage you to go back. I think it's on our YouTube and uh, should be up on our podcast. If it's not, it will be soon. Um, I, would, I would really challenge you to do that. Uh, one thing I told you last week, and I think it's important to hear, is that your brain grows better when you get it wrong than when you get it right. Um, how many of you learned more when you stubbed your toe than when you didn't? Uh, there's something about that, but what, I don't mean to go out and try to be wrong. I mean go out and try something. And in the process of discovering, in the process of dialogue with people, in the process of discussion with people you do not agree with, you will learn something if you're willing to do it with the right kind of mind. See, Paul talks about the mind of Christ and then goes on to talk about how Jesus counted equality with God, nothing to be pulled for or searched for or yearned for. Uh, The mind of Christ is a humble one. The mind of Christ is one that walks into a scenario and doesn't believe that he already knows everything he needs to know, even though Jesus did. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about heart, but primarily about how heart connects to hand. And then next week I'll dive a little bit more into the fullness of what I want to talk about when it comes to heart and mind um, and that pattern and what it looks like to establish it. If you're new with us or if you're coming around for the first time, we're in a new space. This is our fourth Sunday, I believe, in this new space. I love it. I think it's awesome. And I love that uh, the neighbors who yesterday were playing an old 90s mix uh, very loudly in the neighborhood uh, because they were enjoying themselves, um, and there might have been too many in one place at one time. Uh, now they get to hear our music at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and I'm sure they were awake because they didn't party too long. Um, and so I love this space. I love what God's going to do here. It isn't finished yet. Um, welcome to the analogy or the similarity between you and I and the building we're in. We just ain't done yet. Uh, in fact, Paul's promise to us is that God isn't going to be done with us until he comes back. And so you might as well quit trying to be perfect because it ain't going to happen. God is always going. And once you start thinking you are, God will remind you well. Because remember, humility is something you do to yourself. You don't want to have someone else do it to you. And so humility is something that you do to yourself. So have the mind of Christ. And so over the next several weeks, what's going to happen is we're doing a um, power and politics uh, pattern starting on the 25th. Our friend Josh Scheib is going to be with us from Kansas City. Um, He will challenge you. He will poke and prod you. He will make sure that you walk away at the very least thinking about something you had not thought about before. And uh, I don't think I would be doing uh, my role as pastor if all I brought in here was people who thought exactly like me. Um, I have friends who disagree with me. If your friends have never at any point in your life said, no, that's not right, you don't have good friends. Uh, You need better friends. You need friends who will give you a Snickers bar. If you don't watch TV, you don't get that joke. It's okay. <laughs> if you don't watch commercials anymore, we don't have commercials, so whatever. It doesn't work. Falls flat. Uh, but today I'm gonna I'm gonna share the heart, and then I wanna and I'm gonna do this quickly. I really am. I don't. It doesn't take long for me to share with you the vision of our house and church. Uh, but I, I do want to tell you a couple things that we're leaning into and where we're heading. So if this is your first time, don't don't count this as something to necessarily that you have to participate in. Of course, we would love that. Um, but over the next several weeks leading up to our Vision Builders Gala, which will happen here on Saturday night, November 14th. Saturday night, November 14th. Mark that down because in this space we're going to have a little celebration and we're going to pray and commit financially into what it looks like to get this space to be the space we want it to be for our city. 
And uh, so our Vision Builders kind of theme and Vision Builders push this year is for the city. Um, so we will be selling tickets for that. Uh, I believe they're $50. Uh, you'll have a meal. You'll have all the kind of stuff. Everything's going to go on. It's going to be awesome. And that night, we will pledge to and commit to uh, what we're doing in this space. I'll talk about that in a moment. Proverbs 4, verse 23. You've probably heard it. Even if you don't read your Bible, you've probably heard this before. Proverbs 4, verse 23 simply says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source or the center, or from it flow the issues of Life, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Now, a reminder, we said this before, uh, but the, the, the writers of this scripture would have thought of the heart, of course, as an organ, uh, but also would have thought about it where you make decisions, where you feel things, and where you think about things. They looked at the heart as the center or the seat of your life. It was, it was the place where everything came together. So sometimes we read these and we go, okay, so I need to get my emotions in check. Yeah, partly, but also the writer would have been trying to get you to think about the center of your life. Guard the thing, guard the, the center, guard the seat of your life because whatever you allow at the core of who you are will be the thing that flows out of who you are, right? We know that. We understand that, right? Whatever comes in will come out, and it will come out like it did last Monday for me at the golf course. It will come out. Whatever is at the center of your life, it will come out. And you won't know what's at the center of your heart until it is tested. I don't like that either. I wish we could just plug something in, get a diagnostic check, and be good. Uh, but the reality is, is when you don't even make it on the fairway 17 holes in a row, something comes out of your heart. You find out very quickly when you go through difficulties what is in your heart. And that is not meant to condemn you. It is meant to remind you that God is still working on you. Sometimes we look at the deficiencies of our life as though somehow God is going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with you? No, he's doing that so that you can be reminded he's got more to do with you. And that whatever still is to be done, okay, let's do that. We are just so quick to judge ourselves. We're our own worst critic. Gary Hill says this, life is a continuous contest waged and won in the heart. As the heart goes, so goes the rest of us. And this is true in both directions, negatively and positively. Where our heart sits, the way we think about people, the way we do, most of the time we can go back to where is our, this is why uh, one of the quotes that I've heard uh, several years ago, and I've said it on so many occasions, and I think right now maybe more than ever this should be something we check into, is that our, uh, our emotions are not directions, they are data. They are meant to be heard, seen, looked at, and then discerned and walked through and processed and filtered and we understand that they, they don't decide for us what we should do. They maybe tell us how we feel about what we're doing, but they are not meant to be the thing that directs us. We should consider them, not necessarily always listen to them. Romans 6.17 says that we are obedient from the heart. Paul is speaking to them and saying, your, obe you, your obedience came from the heart. And so sometimes what we think about this verse of Proverbs 4.23 is that Everything is about morality. So, so every, all the issues, all the right decisions or the wrong decisions, all the good decisions or the bad decisions flow from the heart. And that's absolutely part of it. But what if, just like the mind, it is not just meant to be this uh, litmus test as to whether or not we're moral people, 
but whether it is actually something that is our heart in the life we are in. Most often what is going on in our heart is going to fill our hands at some point. Or we will be disappointed, frustrated, and discouraged by the fact that what is in our heart is not in our hand. And the disconnect is often the thing and the greatest source of frustration in our life. The things that beat in our heart, the things that we imagine in our heart, the things that we process in our heart are the things that so often uh, cause us either frustration because we haven't grasped it yet, or, or they are, uh, they're actually the things that fulfill us because it has actually filled our hand. And one of the things we want to talk about as we walk through this is the idea that what fills our hearts as C3 Fort Worth is the streets and hearts of this city. That we are people who want Jesus to be seen on every street and in every heart. That we want to be people who, that each of us, every single one of us, that what is filling our heart is pouring into the street we live on. Meredith and I have been debating about throwing a dinner party on our street uh, because we've become friends with so many of them, and yet we've never actually had them around the table. And so we talk about dinner parties all the time, and now we're going, wait, we got a cul-de-sac. We could do this whole thing out in the middle of the street because it's safe, sort of. And uh, we got one neighbor. we got one neighbor we're working on. We're trying to figure it out. Uh, but we can do this dinner party thing, and what's in our heart would be connected to our hand, and we would find fulfillment. And see, when we begin to live lives where we are pursuing safety or comfort, we will often compromise calling. Calling is rarely lived with comfort. Rarely. I could look around the room at some of you guys who have either started a new business or went into a new relationship, or it took a risk to get into the place you believed God had called you to. And when we risk, I think a, a robust faith is a faith that has taken some risk. A faith that is robust is a faith that has taken some risk over time and discovered that God will not leave you or forsake you even if you fail in the risk that you took. If anything, along the way, you are learning that God is faithful. Amen? One of my favorite books on, uh, on the heart and on love is a book by um, James K.A. Smith. He's a bit of a philosopher, a bit of this, one of these thinking guys. He, he's, he just always says things, and you're like, well, I don't know, I, maybe. And, but you can't refute it because you're not entirely sure yet. He wrote um, a, brilliant, a brilliant book uh, called You Are What You Love. You Are What You Love. I referenced it before. I'd recommend it. Uh, the, probably the first two-thirds of it. The last third is more just kind of a little bit practical for church leaders. Uh, but the first couple uh, sections are, are, are brilliant. And he says this. I'm going to read just a couple a couple quotes from him. He says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. Now, this next one's going to challenge what you believe you love. He references an author that says, your deepest desire is the, is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. We would say patterns. And then he goes on to speak about what this author wrote. He says, this is because our actions, the actions bubbles up from our loves, which as we've observed, our habits we've acquired through the practice we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love a telos, which is, means um, your view of life, the, the perfect life, the thing we want, the, the, the better life. The, that's our telos. That's, our, that's what we desire in life. You would have seen this a lot in Greek philosophy. It says that I am not even aware of. 
and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. I might be learning to love a telos that I'm not even aware of, and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. Let me ask you this question. We tend to believe we liked it, so we started looking. Is it also possible that we started looking so much that we started to like it? That sometimes the things we're thinking about and obsessing over were never put there by God the creator, but they were put there by the culture that we are so diligently and intentionally following day to day. That's why uh, malls are built like cathedrals with no outside windows. They don't show you where they bring in the exchange of all the goods because they don't want you to see the price for the things that you're paying for. Uh, You walk into this grand entrance. You look up, not out. Why? Because they want you to get lost in where you are in. There's a real sense of that we, we are trying to control the way we think and the way we feel. In fact, um, uh, one of my favorite authors says the battleground of our day is absolutely our attention. The battleground of our day is absolutely our attention and where we give it. James K. Smith wraps it up by saying this. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate, curate your heart to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. To curate your heart, to curate it, to be intentional about what is happening on the inside of your life, to be intentional about what is showing up so that you're not being led by something that under the hood has gotten snuck in by all the information you're seeing on a daily basis. I sat here with a pastor from our city uh, this week, Thursday morning. We sat here for three hours. we become good friends. And, uh, and we're just talking about the messages that we get on a daily basis, the amount of messages we see On a daily basis, and we like to think it doesn't affect our lives until we pull up at Taco Bell the next day, the one that we said we'd never go back to because of the taco commercial the night before. We want to think that we're so smart that we are just always thinking about what we're thinking about, but the reality is is there are so many things that slide in under the hood, under our subconscious, that are beginning to direct our life. And so our heart begins to be shaped by the things we think about. So if we think about that hurt or that pain often, then our heart will begin to carry that weight. Again, it is not to say we do not consider these things. It is to say that we do not make them our confession. It is to take them in and to take captive every thought and let our confession be something different than the thing that tried to slide in and direct our life. Because from it flow the issues of life. And every time we say the word issues, we think of something bad. It's rarely that, like, I've got this issue I have to deal with. Someone's like, oh, is it going to be a good thing? Issues are always negative, right? Issues are always, i got this issue. It's not always bad. It's just that, that from our heart flow all the things of life because it is the seat of our life. It is the core of who we are. That's why Jesus says take heart or take courage. The courage comes from what is filling your heart. Mark 16, 15, I'll have this verse on the screen. Mark 16, 15 says, and he told them, You are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. He said, go everywhere in the world. Tell the good news to everyone. I'm shifting the vision for a minute, okay? Because what fills our heart as C3 Fort Worth is that you have in your heart what God intended. And because of that, what is in your heart begins to make its way into your street. That what's in your heart begins to make its way into your hand. There are some dreams and vision that some of you have on the inside of you that have not yet activated. And that's okay. It might not be time yet. 
But there are some, and here's my job over the next year or so, over the next coming years, especially in a space like this, is to make sure that you don't forget what God has put in your heart. That you don't forget the dreams God's put in your heart. And I'm not putting pressure on you. I'm not saying it has to happen in the next 30 days. I'm simply saying don't forget it. Carry it with you because there's going to be a time when God says now is the time to open. And I don't want you to have forgotten it at home. I don't want you to have forgotten it in the hurt or the pain of, of last year. I don't want you to have forgotten it in the difficulty or the night that you just walked through. I don't want you to forget the things God has put in your heart because he absolutely intended for it to make its way to your hand. Because we don't pray heaven to come to church. We pray heaven to come to earth. So we meet heaven now in this place, and then we take it with us into the spaces and the places that we go. Because Jesus looked at the disciples and says, go everyone, everywhere. In fact, one translation says, so wherever you go, tell everyone the good news. He, he doesn't even say specifics about where. He just says wherever. If right now you're working the register at McDonald's, yeah, there. If right now you're a stay-at-home parent, yeah, there. If right now you're in a job you don't like, yeah, there too. Right now, if you're living your dream, definitely there. Wherever you end up, Jesus. So the question isn't, where am I going? It's wherever I go, will I have news? Wherever I go, will I have good news to share? Will I have things to say? This doesn't mean, I think we think of the word preach, and we think it's this like standing up on a platform in the middle of the cubicles in your office, right, with a Bible in your hand and saying, thus saith the Lord. Don't do that. But it might just be when you walk past someone who looks like their head's down, stepping into it and beginning to talk to them about their life and then sharing with them some news that God loves them too. In fact, the pastor I sat with this week, last week, uh, we were supposed to have um, coffee and he canceled on me, jerk. And, uh, and no, no, the reason he canceled is because he had spent the day before what he was supposed to be prepping for his Sunday. He spent the day before with a homeless young man and uh, had ended up spending all day with him, got him a shower and... And we had had this talk. I told him, you're becoming charismatic. He said, I'm not sure yet. And I, he, but I'm telling you, every time we get together, he has another moment where he's like, I just felt like the Lord said. You know, I, I just, if you would just trust every once in a while, those little whispers, they'll, they, they'll definitely end up shouting something in your life. And so he's, he's walked us through, and now the young guy's got a job at their church, and he's working some stuff out. And, and, uh, and, and the guy goes, hey, so whatever you do at your, and he called it some, I can't remember the word now, whatever you do at your ceremony, and at church, he was up on the front row, and the moment Landon got up to preach, oh, this is Landon Pickering. Uh, you may or may not know him. And, uh, and, uh, and, and the guy got up in the middle of the row, and he's taking pictures. You know the thing you're not supposed to do, right? You're not supposed to get up in the middle and take pictures and stand up in front of everybody. He didn't know. He didn't care. And Landon's up there preaching, just loving every second of it. Because what was in his heart showed up in his hand. And as a church, that's our hope. That's our desire, that we would be people who care about the city we are in, care about the people we interact with, that wherever we go and whoever we're with, whatever place we find ourselves in and whatever people we find ourselves with, we would be those who see Jesus in them and that they would see Jesus in us. And our goal is to become more and more like the image we were created in. In Jeremiah 29.7, I know you thought I was about to say 11. I know you do because it's the only verse in that chapter you know. I know the plans I have for you. And it's a great verse. I love the verse. But I don't know if you know the context of the verse. The context of the verse is that they're actually in a city they're not meant to be in, that they were taken captive by a group of people. And, 
and God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is telling him, hey, hey, I know the plans. Even though the plans right now don't look right, I know the plans. But here, listen to this command. In the middle of their captivity, listen to what Jeremiah challenges them to do in Jeremiah 29.7. It says, pursue the well-being of the city. I have deported you to. I have placed you in. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Sometimes we've created this uh, us versus them mentality in the church. We've looked at the city and said, well, I can't let that rub off on me. No, actually, I want to pray that the city does well. Because if the city does well, then the church actually is doing well. And if the church is doing well, then the city would do well. I want this place to be so important to this block, to this corner, that if it doesn't work, nothing works. I don't pray that for them. I'm praying that God is going to do something here that benefits them and them benefits us and that we are working with the city to see heaven on streets, to see heaven in hearts, to make sure that Jesus is being seen everywhere and everyone. See, this building is not going to be a Sunday gathering place. This is our gift to 8th and Barry. This is our gift to TCU students who are partying late into the night, and I'm sure their neighbors love it. This is our gift to Magnolia Avenue and 5th Avenue. I'm, Magnolia, this is our gift. This is our gift to the hospital district. This is our gift to Lancaster. This is our gift to Southeast Fort Worth. This is our gift to Keenan and Pillar Church. This is our gift to all the guys that we know and we love, we care deeply about. I was texting with Kevin the other day. Hey, we need to pull on Barton. We're, we're right next to Pasco High School. Who doesn't need to discover their calling in a greater way? Let's get Barton in here. Let's start teaching a class on what it is, especially those who are impoverished, those who are dealing with certain circumstances, situations that are out of their control. What if they walked half a mile into this space and learned what their dream was, learned what their calling was, learned how to curate that, learned how to make sure you don't dwell on the things the world is trying you to, to make you dwell on, but dwell upon the rock of Christ Jesus and build whatever flipping house you want to build. That's what this space is. Yeah, we're going to see people get married in here. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be gorgeous. But that is not the reason we're doing this. The reason we're doing this is because we're going to do a pop-up shop with 20 other uh, small businesses that can't afford a front window and can't afford rent and, and can't afford to be. And they're going to come in here and they're going to set up a spot. And we're going to have 300 people walking through here buying stuff from them. And maybe, just maybe, we're the reason they're able to go buy that and lease that space that makes them a full-on business. We're going to display the art gallery of uh, Thomas Bocage or Vicky Godbold or whatever else. We're going we're gonna to display art gallery of the, the artists in our city. And no, it won't all be Christian art. Not even entirely sure what that means if you really want to think about it. I mean, I was created by God. Whatever comes out of these hands is his and his alone, yeah? I know, we'll sanctify. It's all good. We'll do art galleries in the space. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll be the, the place where, where when Kevin Godbold releases his next EP, we can be the place he does it. Maybe, just maybe, this thing will be just as busy during the week as it is on Sunday morning. And maybe, just maybe, it'll actually be more effective during the week than it is on the weekend. Yes, we're going to do church. No, we're not diminishing the role of Sundays. No, we don't think Sundays don't matter. That's why we're still here and it's 11-18. We just want to put more emphasis on what happens beyond here. This isn't the Super Bowl. 
Sunday morning isn't the Super Bowl. I don't know. I, I know I, if you've been in church leadership, you know that phrase. This isn't the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is when anyone decides to follow Jesus, which takes the limits off where and when it has to happen. The Super Bowl is not Sunday at 5 p.m. once a year. It's Monday afternoon when you walk by your neighbor and you say, Jesus loves you, and he goes, oh, I've been waiting to hear that. It's when someone walks in here, puts up their stuff, they're going to sell their things, and then they realize, oh, this is a church. Wait, you, you're church people? See, it's going to take... It's going to take six figures to finish this space. It's going to take $125,000 to get this where we want it. I don't think that's going to be a problem for us. I don't think it's going to be an issue for us. Yeah, you didn't clap. Donnie did. I appreciate Donnie. <laughs> and it's not just for this. We've got friends who are planting church in, churches in Philly, friends who are church, planting churches in Portland. We're going to support them. Every year we give 10% of our income. By the way, just a heads up, you guys have been, you have exceeded our budget for 2020, um, which is unbelievable, because 2020 has been a little shaky. Unbelievable, generous, unbelievably generous church. But over the next several months, our goal is to raise $125,000 so that we can get this place to do exactly what we want it to do, so that when people come in and go, man, I, I want to, they will have been in church without ever knowing they went. We're not doing a bait and switch. That's not the goal here. We're not trying to convince you, this isn't a church, come in. We don't like church either, so come. What? No, I love church, but I think it's bigger than we let it be. I love church, but I think there's more in it than we let it. I, I love church. That's why I want more people to experience it beyond the 90 minutes we give it every single weekend. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. We have not put our Vision Builders pledge, a Vision Builders thing online just yet. Because what I don't want you to do is be convinced of it. What I don't want you to do is be talked into it. Some of you are ready to give now. I know. You've already been praying about it. You've already been thinking about it. Here's what I want you to do. So I want you to spend the next seven days. And really, if it takes longer than that, that's fine. But I want to give a window at least where you have to do nothing but pray about it. You can't give yet. I want you to begin praying. On November 14th, that's when we're going to fully commit, fully pledge. You may wait till November 14th. You might, when we, when we launch this on our website, you might in seven days go, I already know what I'm giving, and I'm giving it right now. That would be incredibly helpful. It would be incredibly helpful. We're already spending money to get this place where we need it to go. But I don't want you to ever think that this is just about a building. I don't want you to ever think that the building is the salvation of men. That is not it. The building is a tool. The building is a gift. The building is a resource we are wielding in the same way we wield our life for the people of this city. This resource, this building will look a lot like the people who reside in it. That when we say to you, go to every street and go to every heart, that this building, although it cannot get up and move, will make sure that every street and every heart are welcomed. That every street and every heart are touched and every street and every heart have a place here. I think we're at a really interesting crossroads in this city, both literally and figuratively. We, if you look around the demographics that surround this building, you got TCU, you got Fairmount, and you got all these people, all kinds of, if you just turn out here and go left on Barry, you're going to end up in a very different world than if you went north on 8th and turned into Magnolia. Very different worlds, but we're right in the middle of it. 
I don't want this church to look like everybody else. I don't want everyone in here to look the same. I want everybody in here to look at one person. I want everybody to, whether, even if you're country, you can still come in this space and look upon Jesus and see him for who he is. See him for what he's done. And every brick, every stone put together upon Christ the cornerstone. Amen? Hey, be intentional about what's in your heart because God didn't put it there to stay there. He put it there to make its way into your hands. And it may not be a career. Calling does not always look like a career. Sometimes it just looks like the thing you take wherever you go. God's God's heart for you is that your heart is full. And when your heart gets full, it will overflow into things around you. Amen? So I do want you, for those of you who are part of this, who call this home, maybe some of you today are deciding you will call it home. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to begin praying with your family, with your friends. Begin praying with your dinner party. Begin to pray, what am I committing to this? What am I, how am I going to be a part of what C3 Fort Worth is going to do as we, for the city, for the benefit of the city, begin to invest in a space where Jesus will be seen, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Amen? Come on, let what fills your heart make its way to your hand. Take some risk because it will get more robust when you do so. I want you to bow your heads with me. Worship team, you have to come on up. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you did not just give us an intellect to figure things out. But you gave us a heart to chase things down. God, I pray you fill our hearts and you shape our minds. God, I pray that we worship you with both. I pray that we love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And I pray that in all things, we would worship you. God, we would honor you. God, that we would become the church you put in our heart to carry. This is not just my vision. But the people in this room are here because they have it too. So God, I pray as we embark on this journey for the city, God, I pray that we would become people in our everyday life where you connect our hearts to our hands and we begin to see you on every street and in every heart in this great, amazing city of Fort Worth, that we would pursue the thriving of this city, that we would pray over the thriving of this city, that we would see the people in it realize and see Jesus like never before.